yeah, that's kind of weird. Because we already know that, that he's absorbed his essence. We don't need that weird... It's like it's the, it's it's almost like they've given the, the the immortals another power that we're just now seeing for the first time. Like when Ramirez came back from the dead. Oh yes, you can also project yourself through someone who's killed you. After the credits roll, there's always more to tell, especially when the video sales are doing really well. From shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy Six. This is Sequel Cast, and they are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the better end. This is Sequel Cast, and your hosts have asked that I inform you that the show will now begin. The theme song to the Sequel Cast is performed and written by Mark with a C. Check out his latest album, Motherfuckers Be Bullshitting, at markwithac.bandcamp.com. Now we return you to the sequel cast. I won't fight you. I will never fight you. Then you die! Welcome to the Sequel Cast. The Sequel Cast is a show that talks about movies in a franchise, uh, one movie at a time. We are currently in the middle of looking at the different Highlander films, and uh, this time around we're covering the fourth film in the series, out of a total of five, titled Highlander Endgame. This was released in 2000, uh, directed by Douglas Aronioukoski, who some people might know as a writer on Puppet Master 4 and 5, and he's been an a assistant director and second unit director and a lot of other stuff. And he has a new film he's working on called Nurse 3D. That's a horror film. But uh, he's the director of Highlander Endgame. Uh, written by uh, Eric Burnt, Gillian Horvath, and William Panzer uh, did this story. And the screenplay is by Joel Soisson, uh, based on characters by Gregory Wyden. Starring Adrian Paul of the Highlander TV series and uh, Highlander stalwart Christopher Lambert. Uh, the villain this time around is Bruce Payne, and uh, music by Nick Glennie Smith and Stephen Gorzanio, cinematography by Douglas Milsome, and uh, this was came out through uh, Miramax, so a different film company from the other ones. Uh, off a budget of $25 million, this movie made $15.8 uh, worldwide, so not so hot. Um, I'm Matt. With me is Thrasher. Hello, everybody. Hi. Uh, so, I mean, we've been watching a lot of these Highlander films, haven't we, for a sequel cast? Oh, yes. Yeah, and you can feel it with every film. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, it's pretty interesting with how the first film is so good, what they keep on trying to do for the sequels is uh, fairly interesting, I, I think. Also, in that they stumble, all the sequels stumble in different ways. It was so so far, in my opinion, uh, the Quickening has been the most interesting sequel. Really, the second one mm-hmm. that a lot of people hate. It, it really swaying for the fences as far as doing something different—a real, you know, like uh, science fiction feel. Well, and, as uh, I said, I've got to applaud their ambition. Right, and uh, speaking of ambition, uh, next week when we talk about the uh, made-for-sci-fi channel uh, movie Highlander: The Source, um, that goes on a. Sp- 
I wouldn't say similar, but it certainly is a bit more ambitious as far as the formula for Highlander films go. So I'll be curious to see what you think of that one next week. Mm. But we're not talking about that. This time we're talking about Highlander Endgame. Uh, by the way, SequelCast is a website, SequelCast.com. Um, we also got like links to our sponsors on there. Uh, we're an Amazon affiliate, and if you click our Amazon.com uh, link on there, next time you go shopping on Amazon, uh, a cut of um, what you get goes to help the show. Uh, we also have a PayPal link on there if you just want to donate that way. And uh, you can also find SequelCast on Stitcher if you go to Stitcher.com slash SequelCast. You have a chance to win 100 American uh, U.S. dollars. And uh, also you can check us out on Facebook.com slash SequelCast. I think that's it, isn't it, Thrasher? That's just about all of our tie-ins for the moment. Okay, we have a lot of them, but uh, we try to make them count. So Highlander Endgame. I saw that I didn't see this in the theater. It had a very brief theatrical run. And uh, but I, I did rent this when it came out, and let's see, yeah, this would have come out in September first uh, of two thousand um, in the theaters, and so I would have just been starting college when this came out on video, I think. And um, you know, this one assumes you know a bit of the TV series, which I know very little about, which we're going to touch on in a few episodes here on the Sequel Cast uh, podcast. Um, because the one of the leads, Adrian Paul, you know, played Duncan McLeod, who's the main character in the TV show. Although Christopher Lambert, who's played uh, Connor McLeod in these movies, uh, did star in the pilot in that TV series. But um, I didn't see this in the theater. Uh, when did you first see this, Thrasher? Did you first watch it for the sequel cast? I first saw it uh, this afternoon. Is this the first uh, time you've seen a movie for the first time for the sequel cast? Um. No, uh, I could, you know, th- thinking back. Maybe Die Hard 4? Yeah, I think that? that was it. Uh, actually, okay. no, it Di- yeah, Die Hard 4 would be the first film I saw for specifically for the sequel cast. <laughs> right. But yeah, I, uh, I I saw this for the first time this morning, uh, and, well, this early this afternoon, and it, it left a certain impression on me. And we'll see if it left a sweet or sour taste in your mouth as we go on. Um, with Highlander Endgame, this is sort of a running theme throughout most of the Highlander films. There's a few different cuts of this. Uh, I saw the version that's been streaming on Netflix Watch instantly, which I believe is, a, is the uh, theatrical cut. Um, there was a DVD release that was a two-disc set that had a producer's cut that uh, had a lot of added scenes, some different special effects. And um, even a different chronology as far as the film went. It, it went in a bit more of a chronological fashion, hmm. which I recall the producer's cut being uh, much easier to follow. It has like more exposition if you haven't seen much of the TV show to catch you up on stuff. But um, I, I didn't get to watch that one recently, and I do recall the producer's cut that's on the DVD version of Highlander Endgame has a really shitty uh, video quality because it's, it's based off like a, a rough cut. You know, off a computer or something yeah. that wasn't remastered. I, uh, but it, yeah. I do not know what cut I saw, but one one thing that that really sort of struck me, this whole movie, it really felt like a three parter for the television series. Like I I, mm. I feel like this was the series finale they had always intended on doing, and right. Spot managed to get it in theaters. Everything everything about this movie screams television production to me. Well, it, it's funny you mentioned that. Apparently, uh, you know, there's a lot of different scripts for Highlander Endgame. That's not unusual for Hollywood. But originally, this was meant to be a film to kind of 
get people into a Highlander TV series spinoff called Highlander Raven that sort of fizzled after one season. So after uh, Raven didn't really take off, they had to sort of retool uh, what went on in this film. Um, and uh, have you seen much of the Highlander TV show? I know we're going to talk about this on the spinoff episode, uh, a few episodes down the line. I've, I've seen a few episodes. I think I may have yeah. only seen one episode of The Raven. I haven't seen any of The Raven, and um, you know that character is not uh, in this film, as far as I know. Um, but... And, you, and it should be noted, listeners, uh, this movie we're talking about, Highlander Endgame, uh, as of April 2012, you can watch it streaming in the U.S. on Netflix Watch Instantly. Or, um, uh, as far as the Highlander TV show, uh, which we'll talk about in a few episodes, you can watch that on Hulu+. Plus. I'm not sure how much of it you can watch on the, non, uh, on the free version of Hulu, uh, but those are some places you can get your Highlander fixes. So, Highlander Endgame, it, um, the plot of this film uh, is overly ambitious. I think that's sort of a fault of the entire Highlander franchise, in that you have a great idea involving you know, different historical periods and sword fighting and romance and sex and violence and, and betrayal. all those things. And betrayal. But uh, the, the special effects um, often look, uh, frankly, terrible. And well, again, it, it I, looks, the writing it looks like they pulled it right out of the TV production. Like, even uh-huh. the giant-ass quickening effect we get at the end of the movie, oh, God, it looks yeah. exactly like it does in the TV series. It's like they did not up... It's as if they did not up anything for this movie. It's kind of sad. The best quickening effect is from the very first film. Uh, whether it's in the parking garage or, or especially at the end in the building with the final showdown against the Kurgan... Uh, in the building with all the the glass everywhere, just the yeah yeah. I don't know whether it was how it was shot or the special effects, practical versus digital. I'm not quite sure, but uh, yeah. I mean, but oh, well, let's start things off. the The beginning of Highlander Endgame is pretty poor, I think. In that you have like a slow motion shot of. Um, Duncan McLeod, played by Adrian Paul, and uh, Connor McLeod by Christopher Lambert, walking up from uh, a New York subway, you know, onto the up the stairs onto the sidewalk, and um, they're sort of arguing. These characters used to be friends, apparently, but they're they're kind of bitter with each other. You don't know why. Well, I like that they, they act kind of like grizzled old war buddies. I kind of like that about their introduction, <laughs> and I like I, I yeah. like that right off the bat we're there with both McLeods. That no time is wasted setting up why they're together. They're both, they're two McClouds. They're going to work together. Kind of. Yeah, I believe technically they are cousins, uh, if you get down to it. So, but you're right. So it's the two McClouds meeting up, not not for the first time, as we'll find out in this film, but also in the TV series, you know, they've had adventures before. And it's interesting that the character of Connor McCloud in the past films was a little bit of a joker and kind of sarcastic and stuff. But in Highlander Endgame in the beginning, he looks tortured. He, he He's really pissy for what appears to be no good reason, at least in this part of the film. And shortly afterwards, uh, you get a call back to the first film in which it's, in fact, it's the same actress that is playing the part of... Um, Connor's, you know, pseudo-adopted daughter, Rachel Ellenstein, 
played by Sheila Gish, who's the older woman that was the secretary in his first film in the present day sequences. She goes to visit, you know, the the famed McLeod uh, antique store, and there's a there's a bomb in there and it blows up, and, and she blows up along with it. But if you hadn't seen the original Highlander recently, you'd have no idea who this woman was or why she was really important. It's very obtuse how they refer to her character. Well, I think I think that's kind of a side effect. I want, I did get a vibe watching this movie that the people making it were making it for the Highlander fans, or at least who they thought sure. the Highlander fans yeah. were. You're right, but I mean, you know, and this is the thing about sequels, and we've covered... <laughs> Almost 100 sequels now in the sequel cast when you add all the stuff up we've talked about. And you can check all those episodes at sequelcast.com or look up sequelcast on iTunes or on Stitcher, of all places. Um, that's what we call a subtle plug here in the business. Is that you look at... What was I talking about? Uh, <laughs> I had mentioned that it was for the fans. Uh. You're right. And that is for the fans. But uh, with sequels... I almost think you can't assume that someone's walking into a... Some people might be walking into a sequel not knowing it. You know, they might be walking to it as their first film in the franchise that they've seen personally. Well, the very fact that there's no number after the title, like, that that could lead some people going in there not knowing it's a sequel. But on the other hand, I, I like that they don't... And I've made comments like this before, but I like that they don't waste time on exposition. They They... The, this film, at least the cut I saw, assumes you're already familiar with the Immortals and how they work. Right, and uh, you know, one difference I, I recall from the uh, the rough uh, producer's cut off the two-disc DVD set of Highlander Endgame is instead of this opening, it, it opens with the, uh, the flashback of Connor McCloud and his mother in Scotland, which we'll get to in a minute. And do you think that would have been? Do you think that's a more effective opening? Well, I actually I've got to say, I was rather disappointed. So, so the cut I saw actually opened with some text narrated by Christopher Lambert. Yeah, like and and I got to say that text made me angry because it <laughs> did it did something. It did something that like here, here's the deal. I'm a huge comic book fan, but I don't read too many current comic books because the DC Universe, the Marvel Universe, any comic that exists within a quote-unquote universe is constantly pissing me off. And because they do exactly what the text at the beginning of this movie does, which is say, oh yeah, that story that you paid money so that you could experience, that didn't happen anymore. In what way do you mean? Well, like, they, they basically, the, the opening text effectively says Highlander 2 didn't happen. I don't think that's a great loss for a lot of the fans. Well, I, I realize that, but the the, pro, the problem is they're, 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 it, they're sort of tripping over themselves because if they don't want to deal with any of the implications or, or things from from the quickening... They should just not mention it, but by putting up that text, they're now drawing attention to that sequel that most people didn't like. You know, they all they have to do is never mention Zeist once in this movie, and no problem. But instead, they have to allude to the fact that there's a movie that says there's a planet Zeist, and it is kind of and it is kind of like you know, those of us who saw the quickening, we invested in that movie. 
we invested our time and attention and yeah maybe that investment didn't pay off maybe we didn't like it but we saw that movie and you as they're working with the franchise they have a responsibility to either be classy with the parts of the continuity that they don't like or or to do something interesting with the parts of the continuity that don't that, that are weird Yeah, I mean, you mentioned that it was sort of tripping over itself, and that's sort of a thing Highlander's been doing, you know, since the first film. If the first film is apparently uh, Connor McCloud wins the game, which it turns out not to be the case, according to Highlander 3, mm-hmm. um, it, it makes it very tricky to come up for reasons for sequels and TV series and all these things. Like, oh, there's another uh, immortal nobody knew about. Well, you know you know what I felt I felt about this movie? I felt like this was a crossover between the original Highlander movie and the TV series. Yeah, that's fair. And you can say that even with the cast. And I mean, there's other cast members in this from the TV series, aside from uh, Adrian Paul Mm -hmm. as um, Duncan McLeod. What do you think of Adrian Paul compared to Christopher Lambert as far as like screen presence and acting? They're both, they're, they're both, they both have, you know, two, two different presences. Like, Christopher Lambert has always, in my mind, radiated a certain kind of respectability, a certain quiet power, like the surge before a storm, that kind of moment. Well, as um, Adrian, he, he, he's, much, he's much more active. He's, he's much more like a cobra mid-strike uh, in, in the crazy metaphors that I used to describe people's acting styles. The, the, yeah, there, there's certainly more of an intensity from Adrian hmm. Paul, I think, from Christopher Lambert. And more accents. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, and speaking of that, you know, the movie, um, after the intro, it, it flashes back to uh, Scotland. And for some reason in this film and not in the others, uh, the the Connor McLeod in Scotland tries to speak with a, a Scottish accent. Christopher Lambert tries to speak with a Scottish mm-hmm. accent. And it's okay, I admire his attempt at it, but, you know, he never tried to have that accent, like, in the first film. Yeah, that's, like, that's something that... I, I'm from Scotland. I'm Connor McLeod. Well, that, that's something that, that kind of, like, that, that really jumped out at me, um, is is the, the use of accents, which I think it, they probably shouldn't do. Not that I think the accents are bad. Uh, you know, most of the accents, I think, are, you know, they range from passable to, to good, but it's just that when you're introduced to a character without having an accent, and then you see the character using an accent, <laughs> it, in your mind you know that's not the, their real manner of speaking. So it makes it seem in your head like they're like the character is doing an accent, even though these characters are supposed to be Scottish. Because we're not introduced to them with a Scottish accent, when they do do a Scottish accent, it's like they're faking, like they're trying to pass themselves off as Scotland. It all it all gets entirely too meta. I mean, I think Adrian Paul's accent is is arguably better than Christopher Lambert's, as far as that stuff goes. Oh no, no, he he does have a better developed accent. Also, lots of brilliant wig acting in this movie. You know, speaking of Christopher Lambert, we we're talking a bit a bit about this uh, before the show Thrasher, but Christopher uh, Lamb, yeah, I can't speak. Christopher Lambert. In the present day sequences, has this short hair that does no favors to his age, and makes him look very like haggard looking. Like he but did with in, the wig, in the beginning of Highlander Two. Yeah, like in the beginning of Highlander Two, right? 
except in, it was real age catching up with them in Endgame. But uh, with the wigs, even in the flashback sequences, he manages to look younger and like he can he really pulls off a wig quite well, I, I think. Hmm. And uh, Bruce Payne is almost unrecognizable in his wig. But I mean, th- these flashback sequences establish that Connor McCloud had a mother, which they never really went into. Well, he had but, well. Of course, he didn't really have a mother because he's from the planet Zeist. Obviously, this is a oh, crazy God. woman who thinks <laughs> that that's her son. She probably lost her son in a war, and when he came stumbling to the village after being teleported from Zeist, she just assumed it was her son. Okay. Like the Titchbull so, here. <laughs> All right, so, I mean, whether it's a mother or a, a pseudo-mother figure, uh, we'll just call it mother to make things easier. Because the character of Connor McCloud, you know, as we know from the first film, supposedly appears to have come back from the dead back to the village. He's sort of considered like a warlock, and therefore his mother would be considered a, considered a witch. And so she's sentenced to be burned at the stake. Meanwhile, Connor McCloud is in jail and um, in this little village in Scotland, of uh, the village of Glenfinnan. And uh, Connor McCloud breaks free, but he watches his mother burn alive. Uh, meanwhile, it introduces the, the villain of Jacob Kell, played by Bruce Payne, who uh, is a priest at this point. We don't know that he is an immortal yet. And um, But his, um, his boss, like the head priest of the village, gets killed by Connor McCloud as he's angry, kind of wreaking havoc on the village, angry that his mother is burned alive. And uh, part of what Jacob Kell does is he grabs the uh, crucifix from Connor McCloud's mother's neck as she's burning to death. It's a really sort of intense scene, and even though you don't get a whole lot of scenes with Connor McCloud's mother, I, I think it's an interesting plot line. It, can, it sort of partially explains why uh, Connor McCloud is so moody. He hasn't just lost... Uh, Girl, you know, girlfriends and wives throughout his immortal existence. He's also lost his mother in a very personal way because of him being immortal, something she could not have helped. Yeah, although I think he has, like, even without that, he has plenty of reason to be moody. Um, I did feel a lot of that mother stuff was a bit tacked on and only really served to drive a deeper wedge between Highlander 2 and the rest of the franchise. Well, and ultimately, it's to set up Jacob Kell as a villain, although he's not really a villain at that point. And uh, Jacob Kell is played by Bruce Payne. Uh, Bruce Payne, I knew more from him in the, the Dungeons and Dragons movie, and he also plays the the titular villain in Warlock Three. Oh yeah. Uh, he has a he has a very distinct look to him, and uh, as a villain, as Jacob Kell, I think Bruce Payne really does a good job in Highlander Endgame. He plays things a bit more subtle. He's not as over the top cackling as uh, past villains have been in the franchise. He generates a lot of menace. Yeah, yeah, he's creepy. Creepy in a way that Kurgan was that perhaps, um, you know, Kane or Katana weren't. Hey, does his name... Hey, his name starts with a K, just like all the other villains. What a coinkadink. No, that's on, that's on purpose, but, um, yeah. I have to excuse so, me, I was cleaning the apartment today and I have dust in every orifice in my face. That's why you should never clean things ever. Let the dust settle. No. But no, I, I know what you mean. Well, the, the thing is, I, I cleaned the house so well uh, that I, I slayed the dirt and I had a spick and spanning. 
See, uh, sequel cast listeners, Highlander Endgame is so fascinating. Thrasher's talking about housework. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm more interested in my chores than I am in Highlander Endgame. A little bit of sequel fatigue, a little bit of not being all that, in- not not really enjoying this movie. So I think it's really confusing, a sort of plot line where it's apparently after uh, Connor's adopted daughter, Rachel Ellenstein, is killed in this... Uh, you know, ran, supposedly random seeming explosion that Connor McLeod kind of loses the will to be part of the game, but the game being where the immortals, uh, you know, have to all kill each other, and in the end there can only be one. And he joins this sort of, uh, I don't know, what you call it, like, like a coven of immortals in a secret location on holy ground where they're put in these uh how would you describe it it's very strange well well, this is the thing because when i first saw them there i'm like oh wait are they actually in the future and they're in some virtual reality thing living out their past lives is that how they're going to work the alien stuff back into it but no they're like they're like in these like sensory deprivation racks and they're injected with some kind of liquid watched by these people called the watchers and the watchers is something that was set up in the tv series where um, I don't know if the Watchers are immortals or not. No, I think they might be. They're, they're not immortals. They're a secret no? society that okay. knows the immortals exist and have been following them and, and chronicling their exploits. I, I, I've i only seen some of the series, so I don't know if it really went deeper than that. But that was their thing, is they would stalk immortals and, and just generally keep track of what they were doing. And they had these archives full of lore concerning all the immortals. Yeah, and one of the popular uh, Watcher characters from the TV series Mythos, or Mythos, I don't quite know how to pronounce it, uh, is, has a little brief appearance in Highlander Endgame on a motorcycle and stuff. And uh, that character isn't even really introduced in the series until like season three, and the Highlander, uh, the TV series went on for like five or six seasons, something like that. And Endgame, by the time Highlander Endgame came out, it was two years after the Highlander series finished in 98. And the movie came out in 2000. So, um, I mean, I, could you even uh, compare Highlander Endgame in a way to the Star Trek movie Star Trek Generations? Uh, I suppose so, because there is, there is kind of a passing, a, there is kind of the passing of a torch. But like, yeah, like in Generations, it's the passing of a movie torch, because... In this, you know, the McLeod from the series has already cemented himself in the greater body of, of the Highlander franchise. Now we're just saying, okay, now it's okay for him to do movies now. Right, he's grown up. He's got the movie badge now. Uh, and also like Star Trek Generations, Highlander Endgame looks like a TV show for the most part. As I've ranted before. Yes, as you've ranted several times. Um, yeah, although that was one uh, that was one thing that I that I did find interesting though uh, later on is that apparently and again I don't know if this came up in the series or not but that apparently the Watchers don't want the Immortals to get the prize which is one of the reasons why they had the Immortals sedated and kept in isolation so that they could keep some alive so that the prize could never actually be won. Yeah, and the reason why this sort of isolation uh, chamber center is on holy ground is because the immortals aren't supposed to fight on holy ground. But the whole twist, uh, if you will, with the villain Jacob Kell, played by Bruce Payne, 
is that he doesn't care about the rules. He's kind of a, a maniac killing everything all around him, even though he has a team of immortals that's sort of his like super bad guy squad. Well, actually, that he might not be necessarily breaking the rules, because one thing we've talked about before in the past films is that they're never clear about whether they're just it's one of the rules they can't fight on holy ground, or if literally they cannot physically fight on holy ground. But because he comes in on all these immortals when they're completely helpless, they don't actually fight. He just kills them. There's no actual battle. Except he lets Connor McCloud go away because he wants to save Connor McCloud for last. And uh, there is a neat scene in this where, you know, another character from the TV series along with Mythos uh, called Joe uh, fires up a computer and he shows all these different immortals how many kills they've had around the world. Yeah, that computer voice. Confirmed. 673 immortal kills. It's like a, a original series Star Trek computer voice. <laughs> but I kind of like it. I mean, it is kind of like a, if you want to say, it's like a Star Wars midichlorian moment where you kind of break things down into sheer numbers. Well, I kind of, well, it makes sense, though, because that's one of the things yeah. that the Watchers are tracking. And I do like that they do use modern technology. They're not, they're not that thoroughly archaic. Right, and that they set it up that, you know, Connor McCloud has 262 kills and Kel has 661 kills shows, and that when you kill, when an immortal kills another immortal, they absorb their skills and abilities and mm-hmm. so forth, uh, which is something set up in the, in the TV show, not in the movie necessarily. Um, that it just proves how insanely powerful this guy is. Um, what did you think of, like, some of his sidekicks? I know they don't really develop him too much. They're, well... There it's a lot a more lot martial arts. Yeah, and there's a lot of martial arts in the combat, too. I, I, like, I like that. I like that there's certainly some variety in the combat styles as well. The one thing I noticed is, like, the, the, evil, the evil motorcycle gang with their patchwork armor from different points in history. It, it, it really made it clear that they were mooks. Yeah. But mooks without personality, just costumes. And meanwhile, you know, one of the, the villains... Uh, Kate, played by Lisa Barbusia, I'm sure I mispronounced that name as well, turns out to be a former wife of uh, Duncan McLeod. And I thought that was an interesting kind of twist. Because you get a lot of flashback sequences between Connor and Duncan and Kate. True. I mean, I... I, uh, But at the the same time, it it leads to a lot of stuff in this movie that I didn't like. Uh, In what way? Well... Um, do you, do you mind if we jump around a little bit? Yeah, well, I mean, the movie jumps around. It's pretty fucking hard to follow, okay. so... <laughs> well, what it is, is, is you know, that in the very first Highlander movie, we get all the rules governing how the Immortals work, and it's all fine. Everything's been in accordance with, that, accordance with this rule. But about two-thirds of the way into this film, they introduce a whole new rule, which is that you can be born immortal, but not know it. And as a result, you will still age and die, and other immortals can't really sense you. But if you suffer a sudden violent death, your immortality kicks in, and then you're officially immortal, and you don't and you and you don't age or die, which seems like a very complicated, very unnecessary rule that that almost gives every immortal an origin story because then they've probably all yeah, had that right. moment of a violent death that didn't kill them which is weird because then that means there's there's tons of immortals that aged and died and never had anything to do with the game which is bizarre and raises a lot of weird implications but um 
but Dun- but but then we get into Duncan's wife because uh, Connor knows that she's latently immortal, but Duncan doesn't. When Duncan finds out, Duncan figures, oh, I can finally have a woman that can live out the centuries with me. So what does he do? He stabs her. Now, does he know that she's an immortal at that point? Uh, yes, he's been told. Oh, I guess I missed that. I thought he just killed her because he's like, well, I don't want... I don't want to see her grow old and die, so I'm just going to murder her. No, no. Oh, she's in her prime. No, no. Before before oh. that, Connor has explained to, to Duncan that that she's late, that she's late in the immortal. Connor was able to sense it, but Duncan couldn't. Mm, but yeah, okay. so so which it just comes out like, and, and even if you now, of course, you know these are these revelations. You know, the movie's not done in chronological order, so it's entirely possible I could have misread it, and maybe he doesn't find that out till later. But the problem is. Either way, it's terrible because he never tells her, "Oh, I'm an immortal. I want to make you one too." He never, he like, he never sets it up. It's just surprise, honey, stab, and seems yeah. shocked that that leads to her. Like, you know, he tries to he stabs her and tries to make her immortal without her consent, and seems shocked that she doesn't react well to it. <laughs> and, and but, I mean, it's very melodramatic, but. I think, you know, some of these flashback sequences in Highlander Endgame are kind of fun. I like the sword fights between Connor and Duncan, where Connor McCloud teaches him a few sword fighting tricks. Oh, that was nice. It, it has a bit of a, a lightness to it. I think it's all a big part of these Highlander films is them in Renaissance costumes at some point uh, during these flashbacks. Yeah, I like the costume changes, although in that training scene, there is a real missed opportunity, because when, when Connor was saying, like, attack me from behind... Like, I really felt like, oh, he should do that, like, that sword maneuver that he learned in, that, that, like, he learned in the third movie in Japan. Like, that would be really cool, but they never, they never call back to that movie. Oh, yeah, the power of illusion. Yeah, no, that would have been, that would have been something. Uh, but, but the other thing, uh, related, uh, oh, excuse me, related to all that is, oh, crud, now I'm so, I'm so furious at this movie. I forget where I was going with this whole uh, this this whole immortality thing, but yeah, it's just that stabbing just it makes his character so unlikable. Well, oh, no, that's the other thing that, that you know the game there can be only one by making her immortal. He's also they're also destined to kill each other unless another immortal kills one of them first. So I like that though. So he's fucking that up too, and it's it's not as if. Like, was was he not was he not thinking about that at all before condemning her to immort- to active immortality? Well, I think your main problem, Thrasher, and this is a central problem with the logic of the Highlander plots in all these films, is high uh, immortals shouldn't be friends with each other. They should just all just kill each other as soon as they meet, in order to win the game. Well, the thing the thing is, I I can see. I can see certain friendships existing. I mean, like, the McClouds are men of honor. Uh, they're not going to stab someone in the back, and there's got to be some comfort when you find another immortal who's a man of honor who's who's not going to stab you in the back. And, you know, there's probably is a hope that someone else will kill the other before, before you have to. Like, so I can see friendships existing. It's, it's just that him making his wife immortal in, the, in, in this movie... It just seems like it's such a, a horrible, harmful, selfish act 
that's going to fuck both of them over. Yeah, and I'm... I mean, also... What did you uh, think about, like, you get a sort of... It's not the end of the film, but you get this sort of showdown scene between uh, Connor McCloud and Jacob Kell in this graveyard because they're not sure if Connor McCloud was executed in the, uh, you know, in the stasis chamber thing. And it turns out he wasn't executed, but then, like, Jacob Kell is there and he's on holy ground and he's saying, and you get McCloud has a sword to his neck and he's saying, like, kill me now, which is a very sort of Return of the Jedi moment. Yeah. But do you, do you think any of that stuff works, really, that these two characters hate each other so much? No, I, I did feel that worked. In fact, there's a lot of characters motivated by hate. And I actually, that, that was a, a motivation that that worked. Uh, but but at the same time, it just it's so dragged down by the rest of the movie, it doesn't have the impact that it could have. But I, I feel like you could probably cut this movie down to 45 minutes and it would be very, very good. It's a lot of flab you're saying. Well, a lot of a lot of detours that don't that don't help. They don't. Only a handful of them give the give the movie a better context. You know, although I I like some of the combat with the different weapons with the evil sidekicks. That there's so many of them kind of takes away uh, from the power. And that you know the original Highlander kind of had one villain, but they kept having showdowns with him the whole time. You didn't have that many other bad uh, immortals. Except for the guy in the parking garage, I guess. Yeah. Um, that, I think, had they just focused on Jacob Kell and maybe given him one sidekick instead of, like, six. Yeah, I mean... He, that could have been better. Well, and you don't you don't have a cop following them around in this film, either. Which I almost, I almost wanted. I wanted a mortal yeah. authority, aside from the Watchers, taking some sort of interest in all this chaos, all these bombings that are happening in this movie. Hmm. Cool. Um, yeah, I guess cool isn't the right thing to say. Uh, no, I'm cool. I'm pretty cool. You can call me cool. <laughs> yeah, I guess I can. Uh, so there's a plot twist near the end where Kel uh, executes all of his followers. Which you have, which and, is something we've actually been talking about. Like, is that if you're an immortal with immortal followers, you know you're going to kill them all. And we finally have a guy who does it. I like that scene, but, like, it cheaps out. You don't see a lot of heads being cut off. It, like, cuts away, and you see blood splattering, and I guess the director is trying to be artistic or something. But I want to see heads fly off. I think well, there's... Well, he may have been trying to avoid an <laughs> NC-17, for all we know. Really? You think at this point in 2000? The, the, Maybe because it was, like, not too far after uh, Columbine? Well, the NC-17 is a botched rating that has never been properly implemented so I could see some weird cuts being made just to avoid getting that rating because it because it is a it is a film killer. Hmm. I mean, do you think that this movie, uh, watching it today, reads as a rated R movie? Um. Really? Not, I mean, some of the blood, I guess. They, they say fuck a few times, but not particularly. I mean, in terms of. I, I could see this movie getting a PG-13 today. Like, even the sex scenes, I don't recall them being all that graphic, although sex is the thing that the MPAA uh, wants to protect us from. Uh, 
so I don't know. It could have gotten an, uh, an R just for uh, some tender scenes of lovemaking between married couples. Yeah, I mean, you do have the one sex scene in here uh, set to Celtic music. That's kind of a Highlander tradition. Yeah. New Age Celtic music, oh, I guess. Oh, speaking of Cel- Celtic music, and, and I've talked about this yes. before. We, we okay. get, uh, you know, Highlander, tons of Queen music. Highlander 2... Not much Queen music. Highlander 3, yep. no Queen music. No Highlander music. 4, the music is as far away from Queen as you can get. It has negative Queen music. You're right. Um, and this is after the television series has reinforced the connection between Queen and Highlander. Well, because at least, yeah, in every episode, the theme song is Princes of the Universe, which is the opening credit music from the original Highlander film. And every episode of the show opens with that song. Oh, yeah. Uh, pretty much in full. Which, or at least which a, gets you pumped up. Well, it's... Yeah, 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 right. It, it, takes up a whole, it takes up a whole middle section. But, but yeah, I mean, that song gets you pumped up and in the mood for some urban fantasy. You know, I'm glad you brought up Queen, because I want to mention there's a point at the end of the film where... Uh, we don't really care about spoilers on sequel cast, as we've proven. <laughs> but... Um, you know, there's a final fight, and then there's kind of a reuniting that it turns out, oh, that Kate is still alive. She isn't dead like he thought, but it has the thing that, you know, one day they'll ultimately have to face each other. And it does flashbacks of scenes through the movie, and it plays the same uh, Celtic song as in a montage they used in Highlander 3. And I thought, wouldn't that have been more effective if they would have played Who Wants to Live Forever yeah, by Queen I mean, from the first film? I can only assume yeah. it's easier for them to get the rights to that song, which as I've said, is one of the most depressing songs I've ever heard. Like, and the thing is, it's not a bad song. However, it becomes a bad song if you've had to hear it almost every day for almost a year, as I did. <laughs> I, I used to know someone who had this song on a CD, and it was like, uh, it was like the only CD they listened to. And just like, I came to dread this song, because it's a this song coming up because it just it kills in any mood you ever had mm. there needs to be a name for that there needs to be the the uh, a name for the emotion you have when something good brings you displeasure do the germans have it's a the word op- for this? it's the opposite of the stockholm syndrome uh i guess Maybe. we'll have to we'll have to look into this if not, we may have yeah. to invent a word. Listeners, if you have an idea for what this word is, please email us at whatever the hell our email address is. Sequelcast at gmail.com. I'll just go to Facebook and write on there. I think it's... Vandalize our it's Facebook page. At uh, facebook.com slash sequelcast or go to the main site at sequelcast.com. Look us up on iTunes. Leave us a positive review. So some more Jesus. stuff happens in this movie and then... Yeah, so what did you think about like the big final showdown... But between uh, you get a, I, I like the moment you get you get one first off in the climax between Connor McCloud and Duncan McCloud, where Connor McCloud says, "Duncan, you know it's all come to this. You need to kill me and use my power you absorb to take out Kel." Yeah, I'm gonna say that's that's pretty cool. That's ballsy to kill off the the flagship of your franchise to kill off the actor who's so closely associated with it. Like I, I was not just that, but have the other main good guy kill him off. I think is ballsy because yeah. you could have easily had the two of them face against Kel, then Kel kills Lambert and whatever. Or, know, or the wife Connor. could have killed him. 
Right. Yeah, that also would have been very typical. Yeah, I'm gonna say like that. That I really like. That was a fight scene that really worked. I and I I love that it's a it's a it's a, a fight like it's a fair fight. But one of the pe- one of the combatants wants to lose. The other combatant doesn't want to win. But they still have to give each other a fair fight. I mean that is that was that was really well done. That that scene actually probably was the highlight of this movie for me. I. It's it's a scene that is miles above the level of the rest of the movie, and I, I have to applaud them for pulling that off. Yeah, and it's it's kind of I think it's kind of emotional when Connor McCloud dies. We followed him through four movies at this point. If yeah. you're watching along with us on the oh, sequel yeah. cast, and uh, it's sad to see him go. Christopher Lambert, you know, not the best actor in the world, but he has his weird, mysterious, oddly accented charms to him, <laughs> and. Uh, it's uh, yeah. I mean, you want to talk about the passing of the torch moment? That tr- that part of the climax truly is. Um, but I am saddened to say, like after that, I think the big fight between Duncan McLeod and uh, Jacob Kell is kind of a letdown. It reminded me a lot of the final showdown between uh, Kane and Connor McLeod in Highlander Three: The Final Dimension, in that you get a lot of like stuff in the smoke in these warehouses with all these chains everywhere. Yeah. Nothing. The way that original Highlander ended, with them fighting on the rooftop and then fighting in a building full of glass with all these sweeping camera shots, they haven't managed to top that climax. As far as fight scenes go, like, did did you like anything about that last fight scene? I mean, the special effects don't help either. It's like shitty CG effects. It it was okay. Like, I I started to feel good about that fight sequence uh, towards towards the end. But yeah, when the quickening finally happens, and it's such a low-budget, out-of-a-cracker-jack-box quickening with, for no reason, a screaming face in the sky, (laughs) that kind of brought it back down. And like, and I try, I try not to to complain about special effects, but I really feel like, you know, if you, they could have, they could have made that quickening scene work if they had shown less, or had used a it little does, bit of slow motion. Well, this movie has enough slow motion in it, but yeah, I mean, the quickening goes on for a while, and it just lets you notice, well, geez, these effects are really lousy. Yeah. Well, the other thing is, like... What about the moment where, like, uh, Duncan is fighting uh, Kel, and uh, for a second, Duncan's face morphs into Connor's? Yeah, that's kind of weird. Because we already know that that he's absorbed his essence. We don't need that weird... It's like, it's it's almost like they've given the the, the Immortals another power that we're just now seeing for the first time. Like when Ramirez came back from the dead. Oh yes, you can also project yourself through someone who's killed you. And things like Adrian Paul is a pretty decent actor, and yet, like whenever he spasms, he goes from being a decent <laughs> composed actor to being a flopping sock puppet. Yeah, I mean, the, the, his eyes bug out. And he starts screaming. And he's just, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> just a crazy jaw motion. He's like a just like he has a bobble everything. I, like, I, if they had just if they had done some slow mo when he spasmed, I think it would have worked much better. Whose face was that in the sky? By the way, I didn't recognize that. 
It's supposed to be Jacob Kells, I think, sort of screaming out no, but it's done so poorly, and you see it so briefly, it looks more like lumpy clouds. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, I can't think of who else it would have been. It certainly wasn't Connor McLeod, like, winking at Duncan. (laughs) (laughs) That would have been terrible. He he comes down like Mufasa. (laughs) If there was only one, I'm glad... if there was only one, I'm glad. Oh, so speaking of... Okay, so there can be only one. Speaking of catchphrases, how many times do we have do we have to hear, Don't you want me inside you? Oh, that just sounds sexual and wrong in an unintentionally funny way. <laughs> I know! Like, I know, what, I know what they're getting at. He wants to absorb the power and stuff. Like, I want to be inside you. Yeah, it just... It sounds like... It comes off... Like, I... Yeah, we, we all know what they're trying to say. But it comes off so completely weird. Like, I'm sure they could have come up with a more elegant way to say that. Like, like you know, and the, and the other thing is, is like, that, that, that phrase doesn't sound good no matter who says it. You put that line into anyone's mouth, and it sounds weird and pervy. Yeah, I wasn't crazy. I would have liked a Sean Connery cameo. I, I think, even though he was, I think he might have been like retired or just about to retire by this point. But just you could just put him in one of those flashback sequences, like talking shit about Duncan. Yeah, or like you know, I kind of the other thing is, <laughs> I, I at least wished Ramirez had gotten name dropped. Like when when they're doing those training sequences, this is a technique I learned from my good friend Ramirez. You know. Some, something about the just some something to to remind us of the legacy of these films. Exactly, exactly. You're absolutely right. Uh, so I, I think we've said all we have to say <laughs> about Highlander Endgame. Um, l- let's give a rating of it and then play our pitch a sequel game. So out of five stars, uh, Highlander Endgame, I give. Uh, Three and a half out of five, actually. I like it a little bit more than Highlander 3, The Final Dimension. I, I, I like the darker tone. It's fun to see Adrian Paul and Christopher Lambert on screen. I think the script could have been better, but uh, Bruce Payne makes a really fun villain, and I think that's what bumps it up to three and a half out of five stars for me. I, uh, I'm i going to give it two stars. There's Ouch. some parts I liked, and you know I've given some praise to parts of this film, but it's just too much too late. Uh, you know, trim this movie down to 45, 47 minutes, and I bet it could go as high as a four for me. But there's just there's just too much that could be trimmed. There's there's so far, there's so much streamlining that needs to be done with this film. Okay. Um. Yeah, so let's play our pitch a sequel game in which we pretend uh, any of the sequels after Highlander Endgame uh, never existed and we get to make up our own sequel. Hooray! Uh, hooray! Uh, I'll start. I-, I think after this one, you know, naturally you would concentrate on uh, Adrian Paul as uh, Duncan McCloud. And what you would have is, uh, let's say afterwards they come to uh, Planet Zeist comes back into play <laughs> yeah. in my pitch for Highlander 5. Yeah, I was about to say and, the and, Zeist since, Chronicles. Right, yeah. And since uh, Adrian Paul has won the prize for real this time, he gets transported back to Zeist 
And since he's back on Zeist, he has to deal with... Uh, he's in the middle of a raging war. He has to decide which side <laughs> of this crazy war he's going to fight on. And uh, even though he's on Zeist, he runs into uh, the brother of General Katana. Also played and, uh, by Gen- Michael Ironsides? No, no, no. Uh, you know, Katana, the villain of Highlander uh, 2, The Quickening, was played by Michael Ironside. So I think the brother of Katana would be played by uh, Malcolm McDowell. Ooh. And so you sort of get a more epic kind of like a Frank Herbert's Dune sort of take on the Highlander franchise on the planet Zeist, a bit more of science fiction elements, but more of like an epic David Lean style action film. And that's my pitch for Highlander 5. I would call it Highlander... Yes? Uh, hold on, let me think. Uh, these are my improv skills. Up, up, and away? No, oh, not up, up, and away. Heads above the rest? No, that's a good one, though. <laughs> that's the comedy. Highlander, Highlander Zeist happens. I was about to say, does, does uh, Malcolm McDowell's character, does he, does he unrank General Katana? Is he going to be like, like at Admiral Kaiser or something like that? He's a Lieutenant Katana. Le- he's like Lieutenant. <laughs> lieutenant, okay. <laughs> he, he's Lieutenant Mazamune. Okay, uh, what's your pitch for Highlander 5 <laughs> okay. in our sequel game? Uh, mine's going to be uh, mine, mine's going to be a sequel a sequely kind of spin-off since, since uh, I can't do the Zeist Chronicles as I was originally planning. Uh, instead, uh, it's going to be a movie. It's going to be uh, a Highlander Chamber of Secrets. Uh, it's going to be it's instead it's going to be focusing on a watcher who's been assigned to Adrian Paul's character. So the movie's going to be told from the watcher's the watcher's point of view. Gotcha. But okay. but here's the catch. Uh uh while uh while Adrian Paul's character, while that McLeod is is tracking down another immortal he's going to have to slay, uh the watcher gets caught by the the other immortal and the other immortal, the immortals, that immortal is going to kill the watcher. He doesn't like the watchers for whatever reason. So the watcher has to defend himself in the court. Uh, and the watcher ends up almost by dumb luck cutting off this immortal's head. So a quickening happens, and the energy of the quickening goes into him. However, no mortal body, mind, or soul was ever meant to contain the power of the quickening. So now his body is is supercharged and like is is just surging with energy, uh, and he's sort of becoming this new this new kind of thing. So uh, McLeod takes him under his wing and tries to protect him. The Watchers decide the Watchers and other immortals decide that he he's an abomination. So you got McLeod's trying to protect him while both immortals and Watchers are trying to are trying to kill him. Uh, and in the meantime, the energy of the quickening, while it is, you know, giving him all this power, it's also driving him crazy and burning out his body. So uh, in the end, uh, in the end, he has to get. Uh, uh, in, in in the in the end, uh, McLeod and this guy get cornered. The guy was going to try to get McLeod to kill him as a mercy killing, but now so many combatants have shown up that the Watcher ends up killing a bunch of the immortals who showed up. His body gets just quickening, going everywhere. 
And that's when McCloud finally kills him with the mercy killing and absorbs all that quickening energy and sort of stabilizes things. Yeah, that's um, pretty ambitious. I think it was better than my idea, as they usually are. Yeah. Well, um, Hollywood, if you're looking for a sequel, I am a professional writist. That's what they, a writist, I see. And illustratrum. Illustratum, okay. Uh, so we're going to do our final segment on sequel cast called uh, Whatcha Watching, <laughs> which we talk about, you know, some media we've been watching or reading or whatever. Experiencing, lately. as we do. Experiencing. Uh, why don't you start, Thrasher? Okay, well, I'm, ladies and gentlemen, and Smiz Mars, I'm sorry that I've been so generally negative uh, this, this whole episode. Unfortunately, this segment means I'm not going to stop being negative. Uh, a few months ago, I'm working, I'm working through, I always have more, I'm always read several books at once and I'm trying to, I'm trying to clear through a bunch of old paperbacks I have. So, uh, last summer, uh, at a shop up in the Outer Banks, I bought a whole bunch of old sci-fi paperbacks, which I'm working my way through. So just a few days ago, I started uh, The Tribesmen of Gore by John Norman, which is one of the Gore novels. And at the time when I picked it up, I thought, oh, well, this is a long-running, uh, this is a long-running and established fantasy series that has a, that has a, fo- a following, a fanatical in, in many cases. And I thought, oh, well, I, I might, just to know what, it, what the hell's going on, I might as well read one of these books. So a few days ago, I started Tribesmen of Gore. Ladies and gentlemen, I am 22 pages into this book. And I have yet to find a character, a premise, or a plot. And I really does it have at least does it have a mood? I no. Well, desperation maybe. Uh, and I really feel like I shouldn't say any more, or else I'm just going to start screaming into the microphone. <laughs> okay. Uh, are you going to stop reading it then and just move on to something else? Uh, I am going to try. I, I'm not even through 21 pages. I'm still in the first chapter. I'm going to try to get further into it. It's very rare for me to put down a book. Uh, I, I now feel like this book is an affront to my honor and I have to get to the end. Hmm. I have to prove I can do it. But I, I have this feeling that when I get to the end, I will never want to look at another John Norman book ever again. Or retroactively, I may get access to a time machine to prevent myself from reading this book. And 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 it's, it's not bad per se. It goes beyond bad. Hmm. And like, I can kind of see, and I can kind of see what does attract, uh, the, the 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 fan the following that it has I, I can you know I can see I can see why the, these books spawn the whole you know Gorian movement the whole Gorian subculture I can see all that and it's a subculture I respect but this this book has been a terrible experience so far you know I've been reading a book lately too I was uh, went to L A this past weekend and uh, is it about a dog named Ben it's not about a dog named Ben but I, I couldn't think of anything to read, and I was thinking of something I could actually finish. And the you know the ten hours I had to spend in airports over the weekend because of transfer flights. Yeah. And what I did, it, it's it was interesting. Um, not a book uh, so much to say, but it's by Stephen Spignessi, and it's called uh, 
The Essential Stephen King, the greatest novel, short stories, uh, movies, and other creations of the world's most popular writer, mm-hmm. uh, published in 2001. And this, the author, uh, Stephen Spignesi, does a uh, sort of top 101 list of what he considers the best Stephen King novels or short stories, huh. and he'll comment on the movies as well. And I've read a lot of the Stephen King books when I was younger. I haven't kept up with them. So I was kind of using the book kind of like as a recommendation. I've been sort of in a Stephen King mood, even though the book's not completely up to date. And uh, I think it's well written. It has synopses of the books. He kind of gives a brief review of them. Has often has like behind-the-scenes quotes from Stephen King about it. And we'll talk about the movies, although very briefly. Um, I guess if you like Stephen King, you'd get more out of it. I thought it was sort of an interesting way to jog my memory of what Stephen King stuff I read and what stuff I haven't if nothing else. Mm. So, uh, and, and Stephen Spignesi has written a lot of other sort of top 100 list books. He did stuff about top 100 Italian works of art, top 100 uh, Beatles songs, stuff like that. Seven. He did a book called uh, 75 In Crosshairs, 75 Assassination and Assassination Attempts from Julius Caesar to John Lennon. Uh, so he's big on the list books. Uh, but I enjoyed his writing style. I might check something out from him if I'm looking for some light reading. Um, did you ever read any Stephen King Thrasher? You know, regrettably, I don't think I ever have. Hmm. Uh, I'd recommend if you're going to read something, I recommend one of his short story collections. I found his short stories to be better than a lot of the novels. In fact, um, but I think the most recent thing of his I read all the way through was Cell which was a, a book about um, people with cell phones uh, get a special signal on the phone and they turn into zombies. Hmm. And uh, I, I thought it was pretty entertaining. I mean, not not the best plot, but it sort of had a neat sort of old-fashioned grittiness to it. Kind of a low-tech nature. Um, all right, well, I, I got to get going. I certainly got an appointment to make, and I think we've talked uh, <laughs> an okay amount about Highlander and Game okay for worth. Yeah. Uh, next week on the sequel cast, we'll be covering the last film in the Highlander series. There's more? Highlander. Yeah, there is. Uh, there's one more film. Um, Highlander The Source, a made-for-sci-fi channel film that was originally supposed to be theatrical and was meant to kick off a new Highlander trilogy, but it, it fizzled in the ratings and so forth. But it also stars Adrian... Whoop, excuse me, Adrian Paul. So... Uh, Next week, Highlander of the Source on SequelCast. Check us out at SequelCast.com or Facebook.com slash SequelCast. Um, give us a rating on iTunes. Just look up SequelCast and uh, check out our sponsors, uh, Amazon and uh, Stitcher, over at SequelCast.com. SequelCast. SequelCast, SequelCast, SequelCast. For the SequelCast, this is Matt. Matt Thrasher. Saying... Don't you want me inside you? Don't you want me inside you? Me? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you choked yeah. on the words. Yeah. Don't you want me inside you, McLeod? Don't you? Ramirez! My dear friend Ramirez, oh. save me from these sequels. Oh, by the way, I do like to think, yeah. I do like to think that Duncan McLeod later brings back Gavin, Mc, brings back Connor McLeod by screaming his name just like Ramirez and that's how he's still alive for Highlander 2 The Quickening. Except in a weird twist Th- of that uh, fate. That was my sequel. It, no, in a weird twist of fate, 
It's Connor McCloud's body, but Ramirez's voice. <laughs> uh, talk <laughs> Look about at that shit. combination. Stop it, you shithead. Okay. Uh, <laughs> tune in next week for Highlander the Source at a sequel cast. Good night. <laughs> yeah.